Welcome to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. My guests today are Meg Wiesner and Randy Seraglio. They're both part of the core team of organizers for the upcoming People's Climate March in Tucson. That's taking place on Saturday, April 29th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at El Presidio Park. Meg Wiesner is group chair for the Rincon Group of the Sierra Club, and Randy Seraglio is Southwest Conservation Advocate for the Center for Biological Diversity. What prompted you to get involved with local efforts for a People's Climate March? I had heard that there was going to be a People's Climate March, and I kept asking everybody that I knew uh, if anyone was organizing it, because I was interested in volunteering. And finally, a message went out and was forwarded to me that a bunch of people were getting together in late February uh, to get it kicked off. So I joined and have been involved ever since. And for me, um, you know, the Center for Biological Diversity has been a leader on climate law and advocacy for many years. So it's kind of a no-brainer for us to be involved. We're involved in a bunch of these marches uh, around the country. And, uh, you know, it's, it's an existential threat to our web of life on this planet, including we humans. So this is an extremely important issue for us, and we're very committed to, to making some change. And how did the People's Climate March get started? What was the impetus for that? Back in 2014, the People's Climate Movement got started with a big rally in New York. There was a UN summit addressing climate change, and that rally in New York had about 400,000 people. So the People's Climate Movement has been in existence since then. I think as the current administration came into place, uh, they really wanted to hold the incoming administration accountable. The march is being held on the 100th day of the Trump administration. And it was a good time to sort of take a look back and take stock of things and say, hey, climate's important and we need more done on it. Yeah, and you know, this is a global problem, obviously, global climate disruption, and we're seeing the effects all over the planet. And it actually disproportionately affects people of color and people who are poor and don't have the resources to deal with the disasters that climate change has brought, droughts and floods and massive wildfires and, you know, all these things that are happening all over the world now and and right here in the Southwest as well. So it's really important that we in this country who have many, many resources at our disposal, and we have great environmental laws, take the lead in doing something about climate. And, you know, being part of this global movement is very empowering. And I think uh, people here really are starting to wake up to this reality. The event itself is definitely going to be a march. You know, for us, this is important. This is a moment for people to get out into the streets and say, no more business as usual. We need our leaders, our elected leaders, our politicians, to uh, get off the dime and do something about this. And unfortunately, what we've seen from the Trump administration so far has been even worse than nothing, because what they want to do is roll back decades of progress that we've made in uh, dealing with climate change. You know, they want to, you know, we we see efforts to undermine the alternative energy industry, you know, undermine the solar industry. We see efforts to go back to coal and, you know, go back to an emphasis on fossil fuels in our energy profile. And we see uh, efforts from the Trump administration to get rid of the Clean Power Plan, to gut the Clean Air Act, and to completely defund the EPA. We see the Trump administration just going exactly backwards on this issue. 
that means it's time to get in the streets. It's, it's time to challenge that authority and challenge that power, speak truth to that power, and, and get people in the streets and say, hey, this is a global problem that affects people, harms people in very real ways, and we want action now. I can talk a little bit about the activities on the day itself. Here's what we're looking at is starting at 10 o'clock and going through 2 the first uh, order of business will be about an hour of some music and some speakers encouraging us to get active about climate change. And at about 11 o'clock, we'll start our march. And the march is in a loop route through downtown. Starting at El Presidio Park, we'll go west on Alameda, south on Grenada, east on Congress, north on Stone, and back Alameda to El Presidio Park. In the afternoon, We'll have more music and speakers. The final uh, two speakers will be Jonathan Overpeck from the University of Arizona Institute for the Environment. He's been part of the UN's IPCC panel that has published reports on climate change and its status every few years. And then uh, Raul Grijalva, congressman from the 3rd Congressional District, will be uh, the final speaker. It's really great to have a rock star like Jonathan Overpeck. I mean, he, and you know, there's a lot of scientists uh, like Peck who, who have done great work on climate change. And this is another problem that we see with our politicians right now. There's a global consensus right now that, you know, the warming that we're seeing and uh, the disasters that we're seeing, there, there's, a, there's a very clear signal there that this is a result of human activity. This is a result of burning fossil fuels and, and other, other activities uh, that, that humans are doing on this planet. And yet, if you look at our Congress, not only is there not a consensus, but more than half the people in the Congress are pretty much climate deniers. I mean, they, they deny the science. They say that, it, oh, well, it's a hoax, or oh, the science isn't clear, or we don't know yet. Uh, we should twiddle our thumbs for another 10 years, you know, while the fossil fuel companies continue to make obscene profits. That's just not a sustainable situation. That has to change. That has to change. So, you know, power has never conceded anything without a demand. And we're going to be in the streets demanding change on Saturday, April 29th. We established three purposes for the march and rally that we have. The first is to educate people about climate change and the effects it has on communities. The second is to empower people to do something themselves to reduce the effects of climate change. And the third, perhaps the most important, is to demand that all levels of government take action to reduce climate change. And that goes from the, the local through the state to the federal government. While we're having speakers and the music, we also will have about 30 booths. Different organizations will be operating the booths. All of them will have something pointing towards an action that people can take to make a difference on climate change. And then for those artists out there, or the would-be artists out there, we will have a little art section where you can write or draw a message to your elected representative of choice about climate change, whatever it is that you want to draw with crayons and markers on a piece of paper. And we'll have boxes, and we can decide to send your message to the White House, to the senators, to the congressman from the Tucson area, to the state legislature, to the county government, or to the city government. Your choice, you can send it to all of them put a message for, for each one of those groups, and we'll distribute those. 
And, you know, that really is important. A lot of people, you know, they hear that all the time, you know, write to your congressman, you know, write to your representatives. But especially now, it really makes a difference uh, because these people are starting to feel the heat. You know, uh, Senator Jeff Flake the other day finally agreed to have a town hall. He got hammered by angry constituents, you know, for a couple hours on these kinds of issues. And it's very important. They have to feel the heat because if we don't bring the heat, then they're just going to continue with business as usual. That's for sure. It's very important to get these messages across. You know, the the media will be there and there will be a lot of people there at this climate march. It's just part of this resurgence of activism that we're seeing right now. You know, the March for Science and the Women's March. I mean, the, the Women's March, that, that was the biggest collection of people in the streets that I can remember in my 27 years here in Tucson. It was amazing. And the spirit of that day and the fact that there were so many new people out in the streets that day for the first time. And it's, it's really hopeful. And, and, you know, in these dark Trump times, especially with regard to climate change, uh, it can make a difference. And I think it will. You just touched on something, people for the first time getting involved. Are you noticing that with the climate march as well? Yeah, I think so. Some of us are the usual suspects, but (laughs) but the the usual rabble-rousers. But uh, yeah, we're getting lots of new people. And what's really cool is, um, you know, the climate march is also a festival of hope. It's a celebration of what's possible and how different the world could really be. And really, a lot of it, too, is it's an environmental justice issue. That brings people together across the kinds of dividing lines that Donald Trump likes to draw. You know, that brings people together from all walks of life. People of all races and all creeds can come together and say, climate change is a threat to us all, and we need to work together on this. No matter what country you live in, uh, no matter what your religion is or, or anything like that, we do not have to be divided in the ways that politicians often like to divide us. You know, that's one way that they get their agenda in place and prevent real progress on the people's agenda. And I think the climate movement, as much as any other, is the kind of place where you see people coming across those boundaries and breaking them down and working together, you know, to make change. And I think that's very exciting. One of the ways we've reached out to include a lot of different communities in Tucson that are interested and affected by climate change. Just I'll go through some of the speakers, uh, but not by name, but the organization they represent. So we have the Tucson Water Protectors, who are involved in Native American group. Um, we also have the Native Nations Climate Adaptation Program, representative from them, the Southern Arizona AIDS Foundation, the faith community with a pastor from the Unitarian Universalist Church. We've got uh, labor representatives. We have a poet. We have Black Lives Matter. We have a couple of student organizations on the U of A campus. And then one of my uh, most exciting things, actually, is a group of middle schoolers and a group of high schoolers, each doing a a presentation from their school and their perspective on climate change. It'll be a fun day. And, you know, we're hooked in with the National uh, Climate March, and it's been very helpful to see the resources and the messages that they've provided people. We've had several actually great events where people came together to make art uh, in advance of this march. So we've got a lot of artists that have volunteered time to uh, help people with supplies and, and, uh, and creating uh, artistic messages uh, for this event. Actually, we have one more art oh, yeah. workshop coming up, and that's Monday evening. April 24th, I believe it is, and it'll be from 5 to 8 p.m. at Brother John's Beer, Bourbon, and Barbecue 
on uh, North Stone Avenue. So from 5 to 8, we'll have some art supplies there. Bring your own and make a sign that you can carry in the march. How about that? Have a beer and make revolution all at the same time. That's a pretty cool deal. It's great to see people come out of the woodwork like this, you know. I mean, it's it's a... A lot of people get inspired for different reasons, you know, and unfortunately, sometimes it has to be uh, a threat, a negative reason, you know, for people to to say, wait a minute, you know, we got to do something about this. You know, I guess it's a silver lining of what happened in the last election is that uh, we're seeing a real resurgence in activism and a lot of people getting fired up about these things. You're listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. Our guests today are Randy Seraglio and Meg Wiesner. They're part of the core team of organizers for the People's Climate March. That's coming up on Saturday, April 29th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at El Presidio Park. How do people learn more? Well, there's a Facebook page. It's the Tucson People's Climate March. And, uh, of course, there's the National People's Climate March uh, webpage. has all kinds of great information on it. If you go to the national page, they have a tab for sister marches. And it's a really impressive map with little dots all over the country, actually all over the world. There are marches on every continent. And if you toggle down, there's actually seven marches in Arizona. Tucson, Phoenix, Prescott, Flagstaff, Page, Clifton, and Sierra Vista. How does a march and rally translate into action or future activities? Well, for one thing, there'd be a lot of great organizations there. It's still the case that even with all of our highfalutin technological communication capability now, sometimes you just don't know that these groups even exist. And you show up in an event like this and you go to their table and you say, wow, this is great. You guys, I never even heard of you. You know, I can't tell you how often I hear that, even about an organization as, as big as mine. You know, So a lot of smaller groups that are working on the local level It's important, I think, when things go south in Washington, D.C., as they have, that work continues on the ground in local communities. You know, here in Tucson, we have so many great groups that are working on various aspects of this issue. Uh, For example, water. One of the biggest threats to us here in the southwest from climate change is water security. You know, what does our future look like? Is it really a good idea to put all of our eggs in this Colorado River basket, this poor little river that's completely overallocated and now has nowhere near as much water in it as it used to? So you got groups like the Community Water Coalition and Watershed Management Group that are working on a more hydro-regional approach. You know, can we sustain ourselves with our own water resources? Can we be much more careful about how we use water here? And accept the fact that we can't rely on this faraway river for fueling our limitless growth. You know, we have to get real about how many people can the desert southwest really support. There's all kinds of angles that you can come at this issue from and all kinds of different groups that are doing that work. And I think it's important to connect the people to the organizations. And then, of course, like Meg said, there's going to be things that you can do right on the site, right, right at the event, right at the, right at the march, uh, you know, where you can contact representatives and you can, you know, you can sign petitions and you can donate. And, you know, there's all kinds of ways that people can support this work, even just that day, but hopefully going forward as well, you know, making a connection that they'll carry forward in their own lives. I would like to mention a couple of other speakers that we haven't mentioned yet. One is Vice Mayor Regina Romero from Tucson and County Supervisor Richard Elias. They've both been very involved in helping to plan this. And we plan on mixing art and music 
This is not just an angry protest. It's a celebration of resistance. I think that mixing of art, music, and the science is actually really essential because the science alone, the cognitive things that you can learn and understand, don't quite get you to the inspiration point. And that's where the art comes in. So that's why we wanted to have, you know, artful signs, art that you can send to your elected representatives. Sometimes a five-year-old can send a picture that says a whole lot more than me writing some cognitive letter Mm -hmm. does. So we wanted to provide an opportunity for that and why we've got the, the poetry and the music, including a native drum circle, which I'm very excited about. A lot of this is kind of doom and gloom sometimes. You know, you, you hear things like, oh, well, climate change is going to be a major driver of species extinction in this century, and we could lose half of all the species on the planet in, you know, in a few decades. And, well, that's just tragic. And moreover, I am a species on this planet, last I checked, so I would prefer to have better than 50-50 odds, you know. That makes me kind of nervous. But, you know, you can't get overwhelmed by the the negative aspects, you know, we have to envision a different world before we can bring it into being, you know. And so getting together with these kinds of events is a way to share that energy and share that vision and, you know, inspire people to to really take action. Uh, And I think that's what it's going to take to make a difference. You just touched upon something about how it can be all doom and gloom. And I think that the idea that it's a done deal does keep people from taking action sometimes. I think it's interesting to look back, at least during my lifetime, of what major changes have occurred in society and what initiated those, how they were brought forward. And you might say nothing comes of marching in the street, and yet I don't think we would have had the civil rights movement. Uh, I think the Vietnam War might have turned out a little differently if there weren't people who were protesting having to be drafted and fight in that war. So, you know, our country actually has a tradition of free speech, freedom of the press, and the right to assemble and ask for government redress of grievances. And that's what uh, a lot of the activism that we're seeing right now is. It's a reflection of our basic democracy in this country. And I think it's a great thing to see a lot more people involved. Uh, you know, what percentage of the population or eligible voters vote? Not very much in recent years, but I think I see that on the increase right now. So I think all of this activity that we're seeing um, will lead to a stronger democracy in our country. There's this great cartoon from, I saw, I don't know, it was a few years ago, but it it was, you know, some conference and some scientist is presenting and there's this thing up on the screen and says, well, what if climate change is a, a hoax? What, what if we do all this stuff for nothing, you know? And on the, on the screen was a list of what climate action would produce, you know, environmental justice, more jobs, you know, economic development, cleaner air, <laughs> cleaner water, you know, all these other, you know, side effects, quote unquote, of, of taking action to free ourselves from fossil fuels, you know, and to change the way that we, you know, that we provide energy for people. There's all these other benefits, you know, regardless of however, you know, dire or, or you know, however an immovable force climate change might be at this point. And, you know, 
again, um, the science is still evolving, you know, and we know for sure that our world is changing radically in ways that it never has before. Certainly not at this pace. You know, it's never happened so quickly in our planet's history. And that's really frightening, of, of course. But, you know, we have to take action to blunt the worst effects of that. And, and that's the key. It's like this could be really, really bad and existential, or it could be just our next big challenge that we have to deal with, you know. Uh, nobody, ever, nobody ever said living on this planet was going to be easy. <laughs> I think if you asked our ancestors about 100,000 years ago, they would probably agree with that. But, you know, here we are today with another uh, existential threat. But, you know, we have the resources and, and the capacity to deal with it. And what we need now is more science, not less. And, you know, that's what the March for Science is all about. It's like, hey, we have people, politicians now, who are actively discrediting, denying, devaluing, and dismissing science. We need investment in more science right now, not less. You know, we don't need to demonize science. We need to fund it. That's how we're going to work our way out of this climate crisis. Just any science? Oh, don't get me started, Amanda. Don't push my cynicism button here. <laughs> yeah, sometimes science is a matter of who's paying for it. And let me tell you, when the fossil fuel companies are paying for it, it doesn't do us any good at all. And we've seen that, you know, for decades now, where they have funded science to try to create this illusion that there's not a consensus about climate change and that it's it's not a clear signal and it's not a human driven phenomenon you know there's been a lot of money poured into that for decades now and it's really caused a huge problem it's really set us back yeah we need independent science uh, we need universities like the university of arizona and researchers like jonathan overpeck to be able to do good work and figure this out as soon as possible the other thing is the scientists have always tried to be conservative because their predictions for climate change can appear rather alarmist. And so they have a range of possible scenarios that might happen, and they kind of focus toward the lower one because they don't want to be considered outliers and crazy. But what we've found over the last decade or more is that those projections and predictions that they've been made have been exceeded by what's really happening out there mm -hmm. as far as temperatures, measured, et cetera, all over the world. Uh, coral reef bleaching, uh, sea level rise is now estimated to be a foot. And there's a lot of coastal communities that are experiencing flooded streets during high tides or some storm events that never, you know, they only flooded once every 10 years and now they're getting 10 floods a summer. We're observing things happening now. And by and large, it's amazing how similar what's recorded, what's being observed, is to what was predicted a decade ago. And the predictions are getting you know, better and better, except that they're being observed sooner than what they thought was, it was gonna happen, which is kind of scary. I just saw a graph that depicted wh whether a month was above average temperature or not. It's been 638 months since global temperatures have been below average. That goes back to the before the year 2000. That's huge. And, you know, you see it right here in Tucson. Uh, March was the hottest March we ever had. And, okay, you know, every now and then you're going to have the hottest m month or something like that. But, oh, so when we break records now, we break records that were set two years ago. 
and we shatter them. <laughs> we, we don't just edge them out. We shatter them. So, so, for instance, in March, in Tucson's history, we had never had more than five consecutive days above 90 degrees in the month of March. Last month, just a month ago, we had nine days in a row that were above 90 degrees. I mean, the departure from normal that we're seeing now is just freakish. It, it really is. And, and it's starting to feel like a hyperbolic curve. I mean, the signal is very clear. And so another aspect of the science, and I'm going to put a plug in, my partner's a scientist, so, and she's, she's all about climate adaptation. This is extremely important. We know climate change is happening. We know a lot of things about it already. There's a lot of things we still don't know that we need to figure out. But one thing we need to figure out is how are we going to adapt to it? What sort of security blankets are we going to put in place to protect ourselves from the expected impacts, from the long-term droughts, from the massive floods, from sea level rise? What are we going to do to protect especially the most vulnerable in our society from these impacts? Because we know they're coming, so we better figure out what to do about it. And that's a place where we need investment. And it's not just science. It is science, but it's also, you know, we need to strengthen public services. We need to strengthen planning for these uh, eventualities. Every municipality needs to have some sort of contingency plan for the kinds of disasters that could befall them as a result of ongoing global climate disruption. And of course, we need to look at things globally too. What is the global food supply going to look like? You know, what kind of displacement is that going to create? How many refugees are there going to be? There's already millions. You know, how many more are there going to be? These are things that we have to prepare for. Otherwise, we're essentially just whistling past the graveyard. You mentioned investments, and that brings me to climate change and potential jobs. And I think one of the reasons that uh, several uh, union groups are involved in this, and they are sponsors of the people's climate movement at the, the national level, there's been a lot of emphasis in saying that jobs will be lost as we switch. But I would argue that there's lots of jobs to be gained in switching. There's a lot of work that needs to be done out there to switch our economy, our social systems, our way of life to the new energy structure that we're going to have to work under. And I think that's where the emphasis really needs to be. Most every technological change that's come about in the world, the U.S. has been a leader in, uh, whether it be the railroads, the cars, which may not be a good thing now, but it, it seemed good, like a good idea at the time. Who <laughs> knew? <laughs> Space exploration, you know, just a lot of different things. The U.S. has always been a leader. Because of so much climate denial in this country, we are letting that leadership position go to other countries and other places in the world. And that is really unfortunate. We could and should be the leader. We've got the best universities working on this. We have the best potential for being the makers of photovoltaic cells or, you know, electric cars or, you know, whatever it is that you need to have to combat climate change. And we're letting those opportunities go. I think we really need to invest in that. And that's some of the messages we want to send to our elected representatives. And that goes for Arizona, too. 7,000 jobs in the solar industry here. You know, nationwide, the solar industry is just about the fastest growing economic sector. I mean, imagine how many people can be employed if we actually had a government subsidized national effort to put distributed solar on every roof in this country where we can fit it. You know how fast we could get off of fossil fuel? Within five or 10 years. I mean, if it were like a World War II kind of emergency effort, 
We've seen in the past how things can change really fast when there's the political will to do it. We have the resources, and we just need the political will to make it happen. And it's already happening. Yeah, market forces are driving it. But, you know, now we have politicians who are trying to undermine the solar industry. They're actively trying to undermine the fastest growing economic sector in the country, which is just utterly ridiculous. I mean, it's, it's, it's obviously the opposite of what they always claim, you know, like, oh, market driven, you know, economics and all this stuff. It's the people who feed them campaign contributions that are driving, you know, that policy position. And I think uh, so, especially here in Arizona, of all places, we need everybody to come out on April 29th. 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., be there with us, see all these groups and all these beautiful people, get out in the streets, carry your signs, wear your orange hat, <laughs> put a flower in your hair, whatever it takes, because we, we need these people to understand that we want change now. We want it to happen. I agree. I hope we see a whole lot of people out there. Uh, I will add a caution of safety. It's supposed to be hot. So, uh, you know, wear a hat. Bring your orange. water bottle. You Bring your water bottle. We will have water uh, stations, but we won't be selling water bottles. So bring your own bottle if you can. That's part of our environmental mission. El Presidio Park is accessible by the streetcar and the bus system, so you don't even need to drive there. there Just go. come for the day and then take public transportation back home too. I'll be riding my bicycle. We'll have to leave it there. <laughs> You've been listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. My guests today have been Meg Wiesner and Randy Seralia. They're both part of the core team of organizers for the People's Climate March coming up Saturday, April 29th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. in El Presidio Park. Meg Wiesner is also group chair for the Rincon Group of the Sierra Club. And Randy Seraglio is a Southwest conservation advocate for the Center for Biological Diversity.